out again. Your projector's broke, so this here so you can actually see what's going on the screen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing our walk through uh, the search for significance written by John McGee. And uh, first we started off with uh, this topic, performance versus justification. Uh, we live in a world that so often, and we do this to ourselves, we judge the self-worth of others, we judge our own self-worth by how we perform. And we learned uh, God's truth to that situation, that God's, God gives us self-worth, self-worth by his work on the cross. It's his performance that gives you value and worth in this life and the life to come. Last week, we talked about the approval trap, that we judge our, our value and worth in this life by our own opinion of ourselves or the opinions that others have about us. We learned God's truth to that situation, that God, sanctif- that God uh, not sanctifies us, that God redeems us. That he, he not only paid for our sin, but he wanted to. He, he loves you. Out of his own mercy and grace, his love, Jesus Christ came for you. Today we're going to talk about blame. Some of you, I'm going to say all of us, believe this deep down. That those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. Now, no one ever says that out loud, right? No one ever says, I have failed, I am unworthy of love, and I deserve to be punished. No one ever says that. But we think it all the time. Here's a test. When you see someone begging, like at a freeway off-ramp, what's your first thought? I'll tell you mine. I learned it at a very young age. Don't give them money because they're only spending on booze. That's my first thought. My first one. Those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. We often criticize others. One, to show them I'm better than you and to raise our own self up. Look at me. At least I'm not as bad as that person right over there. Because those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. And we're harsh on people sometimes. Maybe an employee. Maybe someone in our family. You know who we tend to be the harshest on? Those who represent us. Sometimes you'll see a spouse very hard on their their spouse. Because that person represents him or her. And we're often hardest on our kids. Especially the kid that represents you. So, so dads tend to be harsher on their sons. And their daughters are got them wrapped around their little fingers, right? And moms tend to be harsher on their daughters because that kid represents you. You ever gone to a ball game? And there's some parent screaming at the kid because he struck out? Or missed the, missed the relay throw? You're like, he's 10 years old. Are you, are you serious? Why is the dad so mad? Because that kid represents him. And that kid's failure is his failure now. And he'll make sure it never happens again. 
we're harsh on those who represent us. You know who we're harshest towards? I'll ask you this question. Who is the hardest person to forgive? Who is the hardest person to forgive in your life? Most often, it's yourself, right? My wife's not here. I can tell the story. Don't tell her I told you the story. <laughs> We're recording it, but she doesn't listen. She just, you know, puts on the on the website. So, uh, we got this brand new minivan, Toyota Sienna minivan, two weeks old, and she's pulling it out of the garage, and she hits the side of the garage, and there's a scratch dent in the car. She comes in the house, and she's like, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And my first thought was, I'm so glad I didn't do that. I am so glad she did it and not me. Because I don't want to be the one to put the first dent in the car. Because if I did it, I would never forgive myself. You know why I know that? Because that's what I did to our first minivan. I scratched that one up after we had it for two months. And... I sure hope no one listens to this website online because the whole world will know now I have two minivans and they'll take away my man card. So that's just sad. <laughs> Those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. Again, we never say those words out loud. But so often we live those words. Here's some blame statements that... Uh, you might resonate with. I fear what God might do to me. That resonates with you, you live under the blame. After I fail, I worry about God's response. When I see someone in a difficult situation, I wonder what he or she did to deserve it. That resonates with you, you live under the law of blame. When something goes wrong, I have a tendency to think that God must be punishing me. I hear that one a lot. I'm very hard on myself when I fail. A lot of you are going to resonate with that. Um, I find myself wanting to blame other people when they fail. Look at you. I get angry with God when someone who is immoral or dishonest prospers. So you're in a business situation, someone rips you off, and it's frustrating, but you get really mad because God let it happen. That's true of you, living under that law of blame. I'm compelled to tell others when I see them doing wrong. I tend to focus on the faults and failures of others especially those who represent me. And God seems harsh to me. Any of those statements resonate with you. And you're living under blame. And God has a good word for you. And God's good word is this. Propitiation. Yeah, you've never heard that word before, have you? But it's a good, good word. And what it means is this. When we say you're justified, what we're saying is God has declared you righteous. By his power and by his decree, you are righteous. When we say that God sanctifies you, we're saying that God works in your life 
and he loves you and he's doing good work in your life. When we say God has propitiation of God, what we're saying is this, that God has paid the price for your sin. He's paid it. Propitiation. Sometimes we use the word redeemed, which literally means bought back. Propitiation. See, the best lies have a kernel of truth. And the truth is this. We are guilty. And there is blame. Psychologists know this. Because many people who come into their office with with serious mental health issues, for many of those folks, they live under blame and guilt. They have this sense of guilt that they can't get rid of. And so it, it makes itself known in just unhealthy behavior. And so what a lot of psychologists tend to do is they they try to work people through that and say, you're not guilty, you're not guilty. In fact, there is no guilt. Transactional analysis, the segment of psychology, was popular for doing this. and It became really well known in a book titled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Remember that book? From the 70s, do you remember that book? From the 80s, you're like, no, I just remember the 18th. That's all I remember, Right? But this, I'm okay, you're okay, was really popular. And what it basically said was, we're all okay. Which isn't bad, but then it had to explain why we're all okay. And the answer it came up with is, well, there's no guilt. There's no guilt. And deep down, we know that's wrong. Deep down, when we look into our own hearts, when we look into our own thoughts, we go, Wow. There are some days I don't even like myself. I I am guilty. We've all fallen short. Paul says it, Romans Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're guilty. We're guilty when we break God's moral law, and we know it. Sometimes, though, we feel guilty for something that's been done to you. And technically, that's not guilt. It's that shame. And we'll be discussing shame next week. But just very briefly, if you feel bad for something done to you, that's not guilt. And you didn't do anything wrong. We're not talking about that today. Okay? We're going to talk about that next week. And that's an important topic we're all impacted by that or know someone who is. Today we're talking about guilt. And there are four types of guilt. The first type is you, you sin. And once you sin in, in thought, word, and deed by what you've done or by what you've left undone, you're guilty. That's the first type of guilt. The second type of guilt is you sin and then you actually recognize it. And that's the second type of guilt. The third type of guilt is you sin, you recognize it, and then you, you confess it. And lay it at the foot of the cross for Jesus, your Savior, to do his work of propitiation. But there's a fourth type of guilt. The fourth type of guilt is you sin, you recognize it, you confess it, and then you still feel guilty. From God's perspective, That fourth type of guilt does not exist. It's never mentioned in the Bible. It's never mentioned in the Bible. 
we have these great words from 1 John chapter 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say, I'm not guilty because there is no guilt, deep down we know that's wrong. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar Jesus Christ, out of his great love for you, took your guilt, my guilt, and by his very own blood, paid for it, redeemed it. Out of his incredible love for you, he went to the cross. And because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross, you are justified by God. See, once we take our sin to Jesus, there is no guilt. And the words of one famous song, let it go. Let it go. Receive Christ's forgiveness for you. You've been set free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Let it go. Sometimes we just still live with that guilt. We hold on to it. And we feel like we've got to punish ourselves because of something we did way back when. And Jesus says, it's no more. It's paid for. It's removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Let it go. See, living with guilt after forgiveness is like being given a Porsche and still driving a Pinto. Living with guilt after forgiveness is like sitting at a restaurant insisting on paying the check and the waiter comes up to you for the third time saying, the owner's covered it. You can go home, please. Living with guilt after forgiveness is like being given the gold medal and trying to steal the bronze. Living with guilt after forgiveness is like being given the keys to a mansion and insisting on living in a van down by the river. That's what it's like. My friends, people accuse Christianity of being guilt-driven. And those folks fail to exceed the extent of God's holy and perfect law. That's equally wrong to fail to see the extent of God's grace. Our sin is paid for. Our blame is removed from us. You are forgiven. You are loved. And the only thing God asks for you is just to receive it joyfully. Don't drive the people any longer. Don't try to pay a bill that's already been paid. Don't forsake the gold for the bronze. And for God's sake and your own, don't insist on living in a van down by the river. Receive God's grace for you. Receive God's grace for you. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to receive God's grace. It just is. Um, I had an experiment. And I forgot what I needed for my experiment. So I'm going to need to borrow something. 
lines. Perfect. Pay it back. I'm fifty. I'll pay it back. I got twenty bucks there. It's Tom's twenty. I'm gonna pay him back. I left my wallet in my car. Twenty bucks. I'm good for this, right? Okay, I'm good for this. Twenty bucks. My twenty bucks. Who wants it? <laughs> His wife. Oh no, you're exempt. <laughs> All right. Here you go. There you go, Matt. Receive it. Now, some of you in your heads were like, I'm not raising my hand. There's no way. I'm not. I'm not I, can't, I can't do it. It's, it's, I didn't earn it. Tom needs the money. Or Pastor Jason needs it. I'm going to pay you back. I'm good. I'm good for it. Pastor Jason needs the money. Tell yourself... Someone else needs it more. Don't deserve it. It's a free gift. God's grace for you is a free gift. And unlike my cash, it's unlimited. Receive it. God is begging you. God is begging you to receive his forgiveness. To let go of guilt and grab his grace. How many of you ever seen a kid refuse a Christmas present? Right? kid's going, you know what? It's not my birthday. I'm good. Thank you very much. Right? Isn't Christmas the weirdest holiday ever? I mean, have you ever seen a kid going, why are you giving me a present? We say, well, it's Jesus' birthday. It's not my birthday. That's just goofy. But kids don't do that. You know why? Kids are great at receiving. They're really, really good at it. Kids have no problems asking for ponies or, you know, cars, or anything like that. They'll just ask for it. What a great thing. Just to ask. And receive. Get it. Because God is a giver. God loves you. God declares you his child. Receive his grace. Receive God's propitiation. Pay the price for your sins. And as you go out today, live under the law of blame no longer. It's not for you. It's not for those around you. Release them of your expectations. Release yourself from your own expectations of what you need to do to have worth of what other people need to think of you to have self-worth, to what you need to think of yourself to have self-worth. Self-worth is this formula. It's creation. God created you. He loves you. Plus justification. God declares you his child. Plus sanctification. God makes you his own out of his incredible love for you. And propitiation. God has paid for your sin. You are guilty no more. And all God's people said, Amen. May the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, even when you don't have that peace for yourself, receive God's peace. May that guard your heart. May it guard your mind. For life everlasting. Amen.